Hello, podcast fans. Uh, welcome back to a new episode. Um, apologies. Before we start this week's episode, we do have to uh, deal with some sad news that emerged. Um, full disclosure, we recorded our review of John Wick, John Wick sorry, a couple of weeks ago. Um, and at the time, it was before we'd heard the sad news that came through uh, a while later that um, we'd lost the actor Lance Reddick, who passed away uh, at the time of recording this a few days ago. Um, terrible timing just before John Wick 4 is due out and after we'd recorded our review. Um, you will hear in our John Wick review that we were just so full of, of respect and happiness about his roles and what he brought to that franchise. He um, you know, was full of praise for his performance, so I, I wanted to make sure that that sort of was kept in and was there as a tribute to, uh, to the great man himself. Um, all I know is what we've uh, had reported, so I just know that he was 60 years old. Uh, it was natural causes. We've had no more information than that. And he survived by uh, his wife and three children. Uh, so, yeah, I'm here with um, DK and Sandra, who are also on this uh, John Wick review, and you will hear talk about uh, about Mr. Reddick as well. So, DK, do you have anything you wanted to add or any sort of favourite uh, roles or places you, you might have known uh, Lance from that you liked? Uh He's one of those actors, although never, you know, really made it big. He's one of those reliable uh, character actors that you can always look at and say, yeah, that guy, really good. Uh, I think I first, re I, I first remember seeing him when he was playing a role on Lost in the later seasons. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, he's, he's appeared every now and again in things that I've been watching, you know, even, you know, things that aren't great like Jonah Hex he stands out in stuff like that but mm. yeah he's I've always thought he was uh, a decent actor he's always been reliable everything that I've seen him in he's it's just been really good and it was really great and John Wick I uh, I thought he did a fantastic role and I'm it's it's saddening to see that just a couple of days after we talked about how good an actor he is this happens uh yeah yeah he was scheduled to be uh in the role of Zeus in the new Percy Jackson series, I believe, on oh, wow. Disney Plus. So, how yeah. that will affect things going forward, I'm not sure, but it's it's a really sad loss. Yeah, I was telling you before we recorded as well. It's also a loss for the upcoming ballerina John Wick spinoff because he was going to be um, a, a sort of co-lead in that with Anna Diarmas, um, which again would have been great, and it would have been nice that he was, you know, getting more and more roles. As you said, he was a renowned character actor anyway, and just by all accounts a really lovely person because even like I've noticed a lot of actors both that have and haven't worked with him have met him and said he was an absolute darling to them and there's a lot of people that sort of posted their condolences on social media so I would if you get a chance to check out specifically um a lot of people's Instagrams they have sort of photos with him where he just seems you know one of the nicest people to have met and uh, a lot of fond reminiscences there um so yeah, uh, and yeah, same same with you. I don't think I, as I mentioned in the review, I don't think I can name one specific place that I first saw uh, Lance Reddick or, or where I recognise him from because he just seems ubiquitous. And it was always, for a while, it was always, oh, it's that guy. And then I learned his name. So when he turned up in John Wick, uh, when I viewed it for the first time, I was very much like, oh, Lance Reddick, this is going to be a good uh, role. Underused in that first film, but I'm looking forward to seeing more of the second and third. And by all accounts, kind of tragically now, quite a big role in the upcoming fourth one. But uh, yeah, we'll see uh, what, what pans out with uh, these other roles and things. So, And what about you, Sandra? Do you have anything you wanted to add or any sort of favorite role? I first saw him also in uh, Lost. And he plays the character Abaddon and just like a mysterious character. But your first uh, feelings is just like immediately warm. 
you know, he's very mysterious, yeah. but that's what he carried to that into that character later. And this actually came before Lost, but I didn't watch it until much later. He was a prominent uh, character in The Wire. Um, I think all seasons, but I don't, I actually don't think I watched like the last season or two of The Wire. But in that, you know, it's, it's about, it's about a lot of things, but um, it highlights, you know, doing the right thing versus doing the correct thing versus just being corrupt and in that he was um you know upstanding he was he was a good officer he wanted to do things right and often you know was in conflict with both superiors and um major characters in the series also in that just you know immediately warm you just and trust and and then that's what made him such a cool character in the wick franchise because We'd seen him in these roles where he was um, upstanding. You know, he would be someone who would who would adhere to the code, but also just immediately warm. It, it was mm. his voice, you know, and just the way he held himself. So I will miss those things and like to think that these roles, you know, he chose these roles on purpose. Maybe the roles chose him, but I like to think he was a bit of that in real life, though I have honestly no idea. But I'm just going to to leave with that. Yeah, it is it is a huge loss. It's really sad, particularly as I said, it's always sad when somebody's about to enter what would have been a next sort of year, a next stage in their career, uh, and it gets cut short. So it's a sad uh, time for everyone. But we just wanted to say, um, you know, in case you think we're being disrespectful, we recorded before the sad news came through, but we are full of praise, so that's good. And uh, yeah, so uh, as always, our thoughts go out to uh, to Lance Reddick's friends, family, and fans, and uh, rest in peace. Hello there. People keep asking if our podcast is back, and I haven't really had an answer for them. But now, yeah, I'm thinking we're back with our John Wick <laughs> review this week, if you couldn't tell from my fantastic bit of acting up top. And uh, yeah, just a public service announcement while we were searching for avatars and things. Don't send unsolicited Wick pics. Men, just don't do it. Wait until you're asked, okay? <laughs> so with, with those two bits of terrible humor out of the way, hello, I'm actually not John Wick. I'm Mike, your regular host on this year's Silver Screen podcast. I'm joined by regular co-host, DK. I want room service. I want the club sandwich. I want the cold Mexican <laughs> beer. I want a $10,000 a night hawker. <sighs> by your own volition, DK, your <laughs> status in this podcast is revoked. <laughs> <laughs> Not really. <laughs> and we are joined by John Wick super fan and returning guest who you'll have heard on a couple of reviews, Sandra Evanson. Welcome back, Sandy. Hello. Thank you. Thank you. Do you have your coin to give us? Or <laughs> <laughs> I, um, after I make a dinner reservation for twelve. <laughs> sure. Sure. Yeah. Uh, otherwise known, of course, as Sandra Yaga, the, the terrifying yeah. <laughs> boogie woman of the podcast. 
<laughs> and no, she is the one that he sent to kill Sandy <laughs> Absolutely. Oh. <laughs> I don't know what mood this is that I'm in, but yeah. Anyway, so if you haven't guessed from the fact that I already told you, <laughs> we are going to be reviewing John Wick this week, the very first one, because again, I had never seen it prior to uh, doing so for this podcast, and because John Wick Chapter 4 should be being released when this goes out. Um, apologies to Sandra that we didn't decide to watch all three existing John Wick movies. I bet um, y'all are sorry you didn't now. I'm saying nothing. <laughs> we are going to move into the podcast as, as it usually goes. Uh, if you are, you the tumbleweed uh, roll past. <laughs> I, I moved on quickly. Shush. So, <laughs> so, if you are a new listener, as I said, just to uh, fill you in, we basically do a quick behind the scenes section, just with any little sort of bits of information and stuff about the movie. Then we jump into a review that breaks down into sections like acting, writing, plot, etc. We ask everyone's favorite character moment and line, then a conclusion and a score out of five stars and we have some uh, interaction from the audience from social media and the internet and letterbox to fill you in on as well uh, and so uh, if you're all ready without any further ado the first section would normally be our behind the scenes and that is my good colleague dk's uh, job so dk do you have your behind the scenes for john wick i do if you want to load up the music i do i have some suitably john wick-esque music here for you oh, so fantastic. play it again mike there we go now, John Wick began life as a revenge thriller titled Scorn, which first circulated back in 2012. Kolstad said he was inspired by films like 2008's Taken and 2004's Man on Fire, which both featured determined men with special skills out for revenge. He actually penned the original script with a much older actor in mind. As Kolstad stated in an interview, I wrote John Wick with Paul Newman in my head. But when Keanu signed on, damn, he's been part of my entire cinematic life. Uh, Keanu is kept referring to the script by the character's name, apparently forgetting the original title, and distributor Lionsgate believed it would be just too much free publicity to lose. Okay. Now, when Kostad was originally writing Scorn, he named the protagonist after his own grandfather, John Wick, a businessman who owned Wick Building Systems in Wisconsin. Kostad was initially worried his grandfather might not consider it the best compliment, but the real Wick was flattered. I was tickled by Derek using my name for a movie, and the Hitman character was frosting on the cake, the real wick told a local magazine in 2017. Now, Chad Stahelski and David Leach, the director of the John Wick films, have worked with Keanu Reeves' stunt, uh, worked as Keanu Reeves' stunt double 15 years prior to his directorial debut on this film, on such movies as The Matrix. Reeves wanted them both involved with the action choreography for John Wick, but was also secretly hoping the two would direct the film. Luckily, they agreed. Uh, Stahelski ultimately received the solo directing credit on the film due to Directors Guild of America roles, while Leach was credited as a producer. Now, another producer on the movie was Eva Longoria. Though apparently the directors are repeatedly asked about her involvement, their stock answer is, never met her, they say, but we thank her for writing the check. Now... Now, several actors were considered to play Winston, including Al Pacino, Michael Douglas, Bruce Dern, Robert De Niro, Christopher Walken, Rutger Hauer, Liam Neeson, and Christoph Waltz. Jason Isaacs initially was cast before being replaced by Ian McShane. Although a communication error between the casting director and Ian McShane's agent meant that Ian turned up on set expecting to reprise his character Lovejoy from the TV series. <laughs> really? Yes. <laughs> 
It was only on day. It was only on day four of filming when Ian asked if Lady Jane Felsham was in the film that the confusion was noticed. Embarrassed, but under contract by this point, Ian agreed to play the role of Winston, but insisted on calling everyone Tinker on set for the duration of filming. This can't be real. <laughs> I know, I know. I, I didn't believe it either, but okay, it's there. Now, the role of Perkins was originally developed to be a male figure until Adrian Pilecki was cast. Pilecki did all of her own stunts, and at one point, the directors began to receive notes that during a fight with Wick, her nose should not be broken. They were fine with John Wife dying at the start, but having Perkins' nose broken, they felt was a step too far with regards to the women in the picture. They killed a dog for crying out loud. Yes, weirdly enough, and sticking with the wonder that is studio interference, the directors would apparently receive multiple notes from studio execs during filming, suggesting that maybe the dog just didn't need to die. Now, a little note for gamers out there who may be unaware and were wondering, the video game Gregory is playing at the safe house later on in the movie is a real game. Dust 514 was a first-person shooter set within the EVE Online universe. It was closed down in 2016 due to low player count. And for the eagle-eyed among you, yes, Gregory does blow away a player with the name of Point Break during the scene. Yeah. And good news for lovers of the John Wick movies. Spahelski has stated that he and Reeves have a host of ideas for future installments in the series, as long as the audience demand is there. He says, I enjoy making these movies because there's no limit. We create our own mythology and we've got a studio that stays out of our way and supports us on the wacky decisions. If people go see the movie and it makes money and they came back to us, Keanu and I have ideas for days. So hopefully those uh, those wacky ideas will continue with the fourth installment, which is out in the cinema this weekend. And back to you, Mike. And I will pause the music there and maintain a dignified silence. So <laughs> that was interesting. I particularly, I, I'm still baffled by that whole Ian McShane Lovejoy thing. I am. Was, I am. I, I loved it. Gonna, I was going to refer to him as Lovejoy just to be funny during, because <laughs> that's just like all I know him as. And now I'm like, wow, really? <laughs> what what possible use could a random English antiques dealer have in the John Wick universe, you know? Yeah. But, I mean, yeah. I, when I can, I source the behind-the-scenes stuff from multiple sources. I don't just go to one thing. So mm. when I saw this, I honestly thought it was a piss take. But apparently, it's legitimate. Yeah. It's, it's from a legitimate source, so... Before we jump in then, uh, as I said, this is the first time we've seen the John Wick movies, but Sandra, how many times, just out of curiosity, have you seen the various John Wick films? I'm guessing you've seen all three up to now. Oh, yeah, all three. I own them digitally with um, extra features, bonus features. I actually have no idea how many times I've seen it, but I can tell you I've only seen the first 16 minutes of the first film about four times, today being the fourth one. Because if you start the film at the 16-minute mark, you miss the puppy funeral and um, um, the horribly blaring, upsetting alarm that he has to wake up to. Uh, start it right at the 16-minute mark and you're golden. Wow, that's for a film that's, that's only ninety minutes long. That's pretty dodgy, but okay. <laughs> that's that's putting some effort into it. Yeah, but I mean, usually you don't just watch one. You know, like potato crisps. 
uh, you have to watch all three because um, if you hadn't seen them, each film leads into the next film. Like John Wick 2 starts off right where this, this first one ends and mm -hmm. John Wick 3 starts off right like from the minute the second one ends. So it's kind of like an epic saga. And I don't mind missing the first 16 minutes because, yeah, that is really hard to watch. This guy would have died of exhaustion by now. Yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd, <clears throat> this is obviously the first time that Mike and I have seen it. And yeah. obviously I'd, I'd read before and through friends and stuff, I'd, I'd known it was all about the dog. Mm. So I was waiting for that moment when they came across John at the, uh, the gas station and uh, Alfie Allen's leaning in through the window. I was dreading grabbing hold of the dog. Because I, I never like to see animal suffering movies. So I, I was constantly, you know, stealing myself for the inevitable. But I, I will say I do appreciate when the actual deed was done, it wasn't gratuitous. It wasn't dwelt on. It wasn't played for, you know, to try it and get emotion. It just happened. Out of focus. And then it was yeah. boom, over and done. I, I do appreciate that bit. I, I kind of yeah. had to try and bring a little bit of levity to myself when watching that moment. So in my head, all I all I was seeing was just, ooh, Alfie Allen, I'm glad you got your dick cut off. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Game of Thrones references. <laughs> I understood so, yeah. that reference. <laughs> he's, he's starting to build a career on characters that start out tough and then inevitably end up in a really bad decision type moment. <laughs> Imagine having that career. I'm the really bad decision guy. Yeah. Just bring me in. At some point during the runtime, I'll really fuck up, and then you can do what you want with me. We'll have to keep an eye on that. We'll track Alfie Allen's career. Yeah. He's, he's like, you know, he's, he's like the Sean Bean for a next generation. We will watch with great interest. Indeed. So I'm going to just, uh, without saying anything else, I don't want to spoil what we all thought and stuff. We'll kind of touch on it probably as we go along, and then we obviously have our thoughts to conclude. Uh, but we'll go section by section, as I said, in the very first section we have, just because it's the first thing in my notes, uh, and I seem to be leading, is the acting section. Um, mm -hmm. So Sandra, you've seen, uh, you've seen these movies before, so we'll jump to you first. What, uh, what notes and thoughts do you have on the acting in this movie? I'm glad you're getting this out of the way first because the acting is not fantastic in, in many cases. Uh, Keanu Reeves' delivery is Keanu Reeves' delivery. And if he's a bad actor, if we're going to say he's a bad actor, I maintain he's just not in the right film because I think his monotone delivery works for this he did cry you know when the dog was delivered and and like he finally had that moment of, of grief but mm. typically you know Keanu's just very monotone um but I think you know one could say it fits the situation because he's a you know a detached assassin who's uh finally opened himself up to somebody lost it in a horrible way meaning his wife and then what happened with the dog and then he's gone back to being this detached uh hitman and so the monotone delivery works um if i stretch stretch it a bit <laughs> um now there's a okay. lot of great great actors in this movie people we love uh ian mcshane willem dafoe I almost wonder if they downplayed their acting ability so as to not kind of outshine um, 
Keanu or was this a directing, you know, uh, something that they were directed to do uh, because that's, you know, just something they wanted to maintain I, in the movie? I didn't think everyone was terrible, but it did seem at times like Keanu and Michael Nyquist had like done some kind of contest where it was like, let's see if we can convince the director that he's just pressed pause. By accident, <laughs> the amount of intensive staring with no emotion or anything whatsoever, and I'm just like, this is just—it's like watching statues, just blank, and just like, oh no, he's coming for my son. Oh dear. Oh, and then even at the start when um, John Wick lets the puppy out, and it's just—he doesn't realize that he's running out because it needs, you know, to shit basically, and he yeah. just stares, oh, yeah. stares, gives the most flat monotone. Oh yeah. I'm like, dude, <laughs> interesting little side note on that. That dog turd cost 5000 to CGI in. <laughs> it was a perfect turd. <laughs> yeah, yeah so they actually CGI'd that turd in. And they kept remarking while I was at, while I was reading the behind the scenes stuff, we spent 5000 on a CGI turd. I mean, it's almost like it came out of a frozen yogurt machine. It's perfectly whipped. Yeah. In all fairness, in all fairness, it's probably a lot less than Marvel spent for a CGI turd in recent times. But I'm not going to get it. Or Avatar, how much they spent on the CGI cigarette? Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh! Callbacks to our last time together. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, but man, we have um, Adrian Palicki, Dean Winters, Alfie Allen. Um, Lance Reddick, among one of my favorites from Lost Days, he has some oh, good delivery. Yeah, it's just one. really um, um, the acting is not what we come to this movie for, but it was no. it was adequate. It was adequate. Um, yeah, it I didn't. Really have, uh, it didn't bother have, me. I don't have a lot of notes on the acting, so sorry for jumping in. But yeah, that's the th the main thing that I had was that I just didn't think Keanu was good at all. And it's not it's not that I don't I think he's a lovely guy. Don't get me wrong. And it's not that I think he's bad in everything. It's just that, like you said, I just I don't fully buy him as any when he's required to do any kind of acting. Like in the action scenes, fair enough. And I think that's why you get away with things like the Matrix because there's not a whole lot to sell there. You know, the, the most convincing thing he has to do is be in love with Carrie Ann Moss, and that's not hard. So, yeah. um, so I, I just, but having said that, I know how difficult it is to do comedy. And I think his comic timing and stuff in like the Bill and Ted movies, for example, is fantastic. It's, <laughs> it's so weird that when it comes to, you know, having to display any kind of emotion and character, he just seems to be flat as, I, I don't know. I know he's beloved and everything, but for me, I was just like, this is just dreadful. But he can kind of pull it off because he appears in, you know, obviously everyone saw him in the Matrix and the instant reaction from most people coming out of the original Matrix, you know, not the sequels, was the man is cool. And I think he carries that to a certain extent in this film and that's how he coasts by on a lot of it. Because when you look at a lot of the films that he's you know, that he's done in between, like the Day the Earth Stood Still remake and Constantine, it doesn't it doesn't quite work. Hey, you defended Constantine. <laughs> oh, no, don't get me wrong. I love Constantine. I think it's a good film, but let's be honest, it's not, you know, Silence of the Lambs in acting stakes. Okay. Yeah, well, I don't know. I, I was expecting cool, and like I said, I do like uh, Keanu in the Matrix films, and I don't know, I just wasn't getting it from him in this film, and... Ah, maybe it was me. I don't know. <laughs> but then again, it as you said, you. No, I'm just kidding. 
I do think it's got a, a really good supporting cast in mm. really minor roles, and I'm just wondering how many of these things were just favours to Keanu or the directors. Well, you know, I, I, I mean, you got Leguizamo, yeah, sorry, Lance Reddick, as, uh, as Sandy were mentioning, Bridget Regan, who uh, it, it was <laughs> bugging me for the longest time where I'd seen her before until I realised it were bloody Dotty from uh, Agent uh, Carter. I think uh, you mean I think you mean it was Poison Ivy from Batwoman. <laughs> no, no, I'm definitely thinking of Agent Battery. <laughs> trust me. Uh, and David Patrick Kelly as Charlie, and he most of you, you know David Patrick Kelly. Warriors come out to play. Oh, I never, I've never seen that movie. Put it on the cult list. I've never actually. Yeah, seen it. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I'm not, although I'm knowing more as you know Jerry Horn from Twin Peaks, but he just mm, now that I've seen. He comes on, he hardly sees any he hardly says anything, and he just goes and I just think you are one of the coolest motherfuckers around. It's kind of it's like that though, as you said, because like there's three pretty big women actors in this movie, and they get nothing to do, which just made me feel bad and like it's a faintly misogynist movie. Because I said Bridget Regan turns up to be what like two lines for no reason whatsoever. Bridget Moynihan plays his wife, who's dead when the film begins, and then Adrian Palicki is just there to basically be a punching bag. Yeah, I'm just like, I'm not comfortable with this shit, guys. Yeah, I'm it's hoping. Okay. Slash, you know, <laughs> sorry, go ahead. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. I mean, this was 2014, right? Mm. So this was a long time ago. But I don't know. I mean, that's really gray area right and we become more socially conscious but we can't just put you know throw women into movie and create roles for them and make a role for them just for the sake of doing it i mean this was a very cool no. assassin movie no, uh, no, later but, um, on yeah. we get yeah. halle berry you know in john wick three so eh, i was just gonna say i kind of i kind of hope and assume that they'll come into this franchise as it develops but my point isn't right. like you know you try and force women into the narrative and yeah, I kind of get the wife thing. That's that's more of a niggle and that I can sort of hand wave that away. But decisions like the Bridget Regan character, like why is she in the movie? Is that something that pays off later? Because that scene has no purpose at all. It's so weird. Without giving spoilers, Sandy, is she in any of the, the, the follow-ups? Um, so is she the the bartender? Yes. Not really, but it's um her style, her the uh, her kind of like sixties tattoo retro kind of look. It does play into the movies a lot later. Okay, okay, yeah, it just felt weird. But, it felt like I mean, her purpose was to deliver that you know that note and kind of just uh, push the whole you know. There's this underground narrative that he's well known, he's well liked you know kind of thing so she had yeah. a bit more of a purpose than just the line delivery but yeah yeah i mean there's places you could have put women but like i said th this is me being perhaps a bit too woke i guess people will yell at me but like john leguizamo lance reddick ian mcshane none of these roles could have been cast as women you know um but yeah, yeah. <laughs> and were these women as big back in 2014 or were these kind of like some of the oh. roles you first saw them in well i, I doubt bridget regan but she's not big now let's be fair but um <laughs> bridget moynihan was pretty big around that time because when she was doing like i robot with will smith and stuff uh -huh. um 
So and when Adrian Pelletti doing Shield. I think this was around the time she was doing Agents of Shield, but she'd already she's well known as being that actress who was in every cancelled show. She was in the attempted the, Wonder, Woman. Wonder Woman pilot. She was in Agents of Shield. She was she's now in the Orville. So she's kind of famous in amongst a certain kind of geeky crowd, but I don't think she's even now hit like mainstream status, perhaps. Um but you I know, mean, I quick... did know who she was from Orville oh. and, and Shield, but um, yeah, I guess back then she was just kind of just probably starting because even Shield wasn't that popular its first season or two. It kind of took some time yeah. when when it started crossing over with the Thor and and that sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, I I do see from a cursory glance that Ruby Rose is in the next film, and quite frankly, oh, compared God, to her, really? <laughs> yeah. Oh. Uh, <laughs> I was really That's interested funny. to see the next one, and now you've just completely <laughs> put me <laughs> off. Yeah, I don't, I don't love her in it either. She's kind of an annoying character in it. That's that's just Ruby Rose. Yeah. How the hell does she keep getting jobs? <laughs> but the second film is my favorite of the three. Okay, that's weird because my friend Will says it's the least favorite of the three. But okay. <laughs> uh, Right. What was I? Where was I going with this? Yeah, I do, otherwise... I do want to go back and just say Lance Reddick. I could literally watch a film of him reading the phone book, and I'd still come away thinking that guy's just so cool. He's really he is fantastic in in, a, in what is basically a nothing role. Almost he is just he is the effortless cool that I was wanting from Keanu every time he was on screen. Um, but he's one of those actors that I know I've seen in a thousand things, but he's like the that guy actor because I can't name any of them off the top of my head. And yet I know like, oh, it's Lance Reddick. So. Yeah, and I know, you know, going back, I think the first time I saw him was in Lost. Yeah, me too. And now like Dean him. Winters. Are y'all not familiar with Dean Winters? Oh, I, as soon as I saw him, I just knew it was the Vulture from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. <laughs> <laughs> So he's been in a lot of procedurals, SVU and uh, Law and Order, and then he was in Rescue Me. He was in all of Oz, but I know mm. him best as Mayhem from the Allstate insurance commercials. I don't know if y'all have ever seen that. I just love those commercials. I've not <laughs> seen that. We don't get those uh, over here. We don't. We don't. That's not a company we have or anything. So we don't get those ads, unfortunately. But, I'll uh, send y'all one. I'll send y'all one later. <laughs> yeah, I think that was that was it for the acting as far as my complaints. <laughs> I think yeah. That's all I really done. Um, although no, I, I did want to say, like, actually, in, on the positive side, I thought both Nyquist and Keanu Reeves were fantastic in the scene at the end. As much as it defies logic, uh, as DK brought up to me privately, that, you know, the villain does the Bond thing of, tie him to a chair so I can tell him the entire plan. And you just <laughs> you just want Seth Green to walk out and be like, I have a gun in my room. I can go get it. You can yeah. Shoot him right now. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, having said that, in that scene, I think they were both fantastic. And uh, even though I didn't love them for the majority of the film, they brought it for that for me, so kudos for that, I guess. Um, any other thoughts on the acting from you two, anyway? I've pretty much gone through David Patrick Kelly's cool, Alfie Allen's, you know, just a bad decision maker. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty much it. I mean, Keanu Reeves, you, you watch a Keanu Reeves movie, you, you pretty much know what you're going to get. Yeah, yeah. I, I forgot to say I did also really like Leguizamo. Uh, although again, I thought underused a little bit, but good in his in, in the scenes he got. Um, I do like that he his uh, his character also he's getting. He is coming across as a really good character actor now, 
and anybody that can come back from Super Mario Brothers just I was just gonna all the round of applause. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Oh yes, indeed. Oh, and uh, yeah, Willem Dafoe obviously is is great again. Slightly underused. Um, but this this feeds into the writing a little bit, but I kind of did appreciate the whole, <laughs> not just because I was able to make this joke in my notes, but I appreciated the whole uh, questioning whether he was Defoe or Defriend throughout the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I did like that little reveal where he was obviously, you know, just watching through the scope and, you know, he shoots the yeah. pillow to wake John Wick up and alert him to the danger. I did. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't. Get, I, I, I didn't know if he was doing that to try and get rid of the competition to pick up on the, uh, on the bounty at first. Yeah. I thought he was just a terrible I, shot. And I was like, Oh yeah, everyone's a terrible shot except John Wick. And then it was later that I was like, Oh no, it was to alert him. Cause the, that was when Perkins or whatever bust in trying to get to him. So I get it now. So, yeah. Sorry. I do like that with with regards to the writing, it did occasionally throw you down a side path and it took you places that you weren't expecting uh, with regards to that, such as the Will and Defoe thing. I was expecting Pilecki to show up a little later to be a thorn in his side. Wasn't expecting Winston to show up and then, you know, bang, dead, that's her out of the way. Oh, I, I see what you mean. You expected it to turn up in other films, maybe. Okay. Yeah, and... It, 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 I mean, it's not. No, let's be honest. Just... It, it's not an entirely original plot. This, but I do like the occasional <laughs> little touches that made you think, "Oh, maybe I don't quite know where this is going." How I mean, dare, I know... how, dare you, how dare you criticize Macho Kill Bill? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I we mentioned it, you know, yesterday. I think before recording, and yeah. you weren't you weren't keen on this decision, but I do appreciate the the fact that there was no long Alfie Allen villain monologue. There wasn't him holding on. It was just, you know. Oh, no, no. I, yeah. yeah I it was just, no, it wasn't it was that just I, a fucking bang gone. No, you, you've misinterpreted what I said. <laughs> what I said, <laughs> what I said was it was, it baffled belief. And it was one of those things where, as happens a lot in things that bug me, it seemed like he was, John Wick was basically killing everybody you know, in one millisecond with just the slightest glimpse and absolute pinpoint accuracy. And then just because it's not the end of the film, he has Alfie Allen in his sights down in the jacuzzi and stares at him for a solid 10 seconds, doesn't shoot him. And I'm like, what? So I thought, oh, plot-wise, maybe, <laughs> oh, the, reason, right. yeah. maybe the reason John Wick did that was just, oh, it would be too good for him to kill him quickly. I want him to suffer really badly. So I was waiting for something like that. And then when he did finally kill him, it was just bang. And I was like, so why did you do that like 20, 30 minutes ago? When I first think he wanted him to know who was doing it and why. Yeah. I think I think you're being charitable, but that might be just you like will find me being charitable for the whole rest of the time we're here today. But <laughs> because I love the movie. And and I don't know before we move away from the acting, because I mean, does does the fight choreography maybe kind of fit in with the acting here? Um, you know, specifically Keanu's uh, fight choreography, or is that more it's, the directing? I mean, you, could, you can certainly bring it up, absolutely, a hundred percent. But um, you might not like what we have to say about it. But yeah. <laughs> okay, because I actually thought um, the fight choreography. I love watching those scenes. They're um, almost. Um, a dance. I, I like how it all plays out. I think it's his, I don't think he's ever 
trained in those things, so to speak, uh, martial arts or what have you, talking about John Wick, not Keanu. Um, I think that's part of his determination, his sheer will, just that he knows what has to be done and he does it without thinking. But I thought the choreography was, uh, fight choreography was my favorite part throughout the thing. It was a, a, a more advanced version of John Woo's uh, Gun Fu, wasn't it? Yeah. In fact, that's what Keanu calls it. He calls it Gun Fu. Yeah. Whoa. I, I know Gun Fu. <laughs> Good Lord, man. You did not do that. <laughs> hey, have you um, listened to some of your dad jokes throughout this so far? Jesus. I'm, I'm just trying to not sound like the grumpy old man that didn't enjoy the movie. I'll, I'll, the I'll be completely honest. I'm, I'm going to, I know there's an elephant in the room that Mike and I have been discussing. I'll bring it up now with regards to the, the, the choreography because it's, it's come up. Yeah. About halfway through the nightclub scene, I'll be completely honest. Oh, it was before that for me, but okay. <laughs> oh no, it, it, it was about the nightclub scene with that. And I'll, I'll be honest. I was sat there. And at some point, I was giggling. I was actually giddy at this, for want of a better term, as you said, Sandy, this dance. But then, and I don't want to come across like Mary Whitehouse. Kids, if you don't know Mary Whitehouse, ask your parents or, you know, just look that bitch up. Uh, but at that point, I did begin to feel uneasy a little. That I mean... <sighs> I'm I'm, try, I'm I'm trying, you know, not to pussyfoot around it, but America at the minute has a gun problem. And on occasion, I can't help but think that stuff like this doesn't help. I mean, it makes it look so cool to be that one-man army going in somewhere and taking everyone out. But without the education on why things like this are just movies or an education in a larger sense, I get the impression that some people are going to see this and get the wrong message from it. And that's it, it, it. From that point on, it started kind of making me feel a little uneasy as we were watching. I'll be honest. I was, I was that from moment one. It was the moment they invaded his house and he started going. I was like, I'm, I'm just really uncomfortable with this because it is soulless, almost video game esque. These people don't matter. Pop, pop, pop. I've just killed 12 people and I don't care. And I'm like, this is no, I, I can't. This this isn't thrilling for me. This is just horrifying. Basically, it's supposed to be that kind of comic book vibe. That's what I, the the vibe I was getting from the directors reading various interviews. But yeah. it's not entirely played that way. So as whereas you watch, like say, the ultra violence in something like Watchmen, and even that's got the occasional scene where you think, "All right, Zack Snyder, put the Kleenex down." But and this, it doesn't quite carry that vibe so while i can appreciate that that's what they're kind of going for as i say i think some people are going to watch this and instead of picking up that it is kind of like a a modern day action thing i'm just going to come away with the message that oh it'd be really cool to just walk into a building and just start shooting people and that's what crosses the line for me yeah i mean a, li a little bit for me but it's more just my personal you know, queasiness and unease watching it because I just don't find it cool. It's just, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know why because I'm not approved when it comes to this stuff by any well, means. And like, I, said, I mean, like, as you I, said, I, we, we watch some really fucking gross. Yeah, horror. we watch some violence and some. I mean, like, I, I love probably my favorite Tarantino movie is Kill Bill, and she's slicing like shit yeah, people and stuff, and I'm like, oh, but that is so cartoony and so ridiculous. But more importantly, it's showing you like. 
gory, horrible moments. And there's no sense here that, like, you know, you're not seeing blood or people's brain splattering or the sheer unglamorous discomfort. It really is just like pop. And then the guy may as well disappear like a video game. And it just seems to be selling this idea to people of just like, you have a problem, bang, and people are gone. It's yeah. no issue. I mean, I mean, don't get me wrong, the action sequences are good. I mean, it makes it look so maybe that's maybe that's the problem that I just not pick up. It makes it look so effortless. I mean, he goes through that nightclub like a hot knife through butter, yeah. with only like when he gets thrown over the balcony, that's like you know, kind of breaks things up a little. But yeah. Yeah, I don't know. but maybe it's a revenge story. You know, it is a revenge story. He wasn't just senselessly killing people. These were all the people that yeah. were coming after him. Um, he let that guy at the club go. There's a, a chivalric code. You know, we don't do business on the property. Uh, you know, John Wick got out. Uh, the only reason he's getting back in. I mean, at the same time, there are things set up to deal with the senseless violence, like the, the cleaner, you know, the guy that comes in and gets rid of the bodies. So, um, I mean, I, I do see what you're saying. And in fact, based on some previous conversations we had, that's what I knew you might have a problem with. I, I thought Mike more than DK, actually. I, I knew that was going to be um, an issue for you guys, if anything. I actually what? thought Why more than the you? acting <laughs> based on conversations we'd had in the past and that, you know, gun violence in America had been brought up oh, before, true. but, uh, I, I yes, mean, I've got Sunday. being in America, I, I really, does it ever yeah. kind of strike a chord with you, this kind of thing? Not this movie. Um, it, it, some things more, uh, you know, going into the more realistic things, the things we are, experiencing here like shooting up a store a school that sort of thing that is very difficult to watch but this to me it was very fantastical it's not a real world we don't have the continental we don't have an underground assass assassin association you know so it, it does glorify violence it does make uh, yeah. you know using a gun in that way look very cool driving a car in that way look very cool um, it does do that. That's true. But you kind of see my point, though, that that's kind of the problem in that it's sort of it so glamorizes it like you never see the effect like it, you, the, the whole like I really appreciate the cool sort of suaveness of, oh, I'm I'm making a reservation for 12 and it's actually just people taking the bodies. But you don't see the bodies or the sheer mess or the fucking human cost of this. It really is just a matter of bang, bang, bang. Problems are all done. And it just it does feel like. As much as I hate people that tend to go around with, you know, people, this is so imitatable, people, and I'm like, you know, people can make their own choices. But at the same yeah. time, things that make something like this, which is so much of a problem, look so glamorous, it really is just kind of like, mm, I, I, mean, I, don't, I don't know about it this. It could be down to the, the culture that Mike and I grew up in, in the fact yeah. that we did have to deal with people like Mary Whitehouse and people like Mary Whitehouse. I can't stress enough how much of just a pain in the ass she was. Yeah because she would just take things just way too far. Yeah. But I, I don't think I that's don't that's know if, I don't know if subconsciously it's kind of been instilled in us for people of a certain age. It is very much video game violence. And I'm not a, I, I mean, I was complaining to Mike the other day. I'm not, a, I'm not the type of person that would pick up a, a, a video game as a first person shooter. It's not my kind of genre. So maybe it's, I'm reading into stuff what, 
you know, the vi- the average video game player would just see as a video game because it is yeah, supposed I, to be I, that kind of over the top fantastical comic book thing. But I, it just I don't never think true with me I, that. I think that's the problem. I don't think it is. Because like I said, if you look at things where that is the case, where you look at, like I said, you look at Tarantino's movies and it's just like, there's a ridiculous level of violence and stuff in there, but it's such a heightened reality and so fake and so like, you said fictional, but this just felt a lot like, yeah, be John Wick, pick up a gun, kill everyone that's a problem kind of thing. And it just, I don't know. But I, I get I get the same vibe watching old movies when people are smoking and making it look cool. And I'm just like, oh, just don't. It's, you know, I'm really uneasy with this just generally. Um, and this uh, movie was m- created, written, directed by a stuntman. You know, it was, mm. it was a- an ode to the stunt almost. Um, this movie, the the driving, the, you know, the way they fought, um, yeah. the way all of these scenes were shot and shadowed and lit. Um, and just the unique things that happen of course there were a lot of overdone you know stunts some things we've seen before but there were some truly unique stunts and situations in this too um and i appreciated the movie for those things um i guess over the gun violence because i know myself you know i was raised right i suppose i don't know if that it does look cool it looks awesome you can almost you know fantasize being an assassin like how cool would that be to have that life but that's nothing i would actually do in reality i, I don't even own a gun actually oh um, yeah i mean, so. I, mean I, I just I, I think it's it's more in you know as you say you were raised right i think it's more an education problem but looking at certain aspects of this film as mike says that it just seems so cool to pick up a gun and deal with your problems that way. And the people that don't have that kind of education, it's those kind of people that worry me. Yeah. I, I don't want to harp on this, on this for too long, but see, I don't even necessarily think that's that's an issue with me because I don't, I don't make time for these people that are just like, oh, everything needs to be censored because people are far too, um, you know, gullible and will copy things and stuff. And like I said, I've watched things where I haven't felt this way, so I don't know in particular. And maybe if somebody can answer for me why it is that this one in particular just really bugs me when I've seen... Like, I love the Matrix films. Maybe it's because I know, you know, that that's so heightened that, again, it doesn't look... Yeah, I think basically Matrix is, you you know, it's pretty much a live-action video game at that point, so you can disassociate the violence. So when he walks in through that, you know, that building lobby with all the guns and then just starts blowing everybody away... I think because it's also like... It's a science fiction world, so it's not trying to pretend yeah, to be. Yeah, but, kind of but in that, they are treated like video game characters because, yeah. you know, with the Agent Smith inhabiting people. In John Wick, they're not treated, they are treated like video game characters when they're not. And I'm not sure if it's, it's that kind of juxtaposition that's jarring. Because as you said, I mean, you know, we can sit there and watch Evil Dead. Yeah. And the, there are things in that that, that are just horrendous. Yeah. I, I don't know why. I don't know why I started. Feel, I, 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 again, if anybody wants to point it out, I, I don't know why I started feeling uneasy. I started feeling guilty for giggling at that thing, you know, because I was getting giddy. And then I just thought, oh shit, you know. So if if anybody can tell us, because I mean, I would it be better if you, if he was just killing people with a pencil? In a way, weirdly, kind of, <laughs> you know, because that can't be done as cleanly and smoothly, and that that would kind of. You know, it, it's not just a question of being able to be displayed like that video game stuff. Like this, 
this came across as kind of like in a way it was weirdly reminiscent of like Scott Pilgrim for me. Like I expected the people that he was shooting to explode into coins that he would collect because that was how they were treated. They yeah. weren't. It was just literally next obstacle, you know. <laughs> um, it, yeah. It, I know this is going to sound an incredibly strange statement, but I actually did start to feel better when he were killing people by strangling them and breaking their neck. Yeah, because that's not glamorous. That's like ooh, no. But when you look. You know? But when you look at, say, and I'm 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 not raising this up as a, as an epitome of a, a fantastic film, it's a good film. But when you look at the the scenes in this where he's killing someone, and then you look at say the the stairwell strangulation scene in Casino Royale, one mm. of them, you come away thinking this is not a fucking glamorous life, and in John Wick, you just think this is just awesome. So I, I wonder see, I if did. the answer is the timing of the film then. It could well be. It could well be. We could be that used to the news cycle now and seeing things like this on such a regular basis. If we'd have seen the movie when it came out, I can't say for I'm not I can't speak for Mike, but I can't say for myself if I would feel as guilty or as I, I know I would, but that's just this. This was purely, literally a personal sort of thing, and maybe, maybe Sandra hit the nail on the head. Maybe it's my personal. I don't know, my, just my thinking, the way I was raised or whatever. But literally, like I said, from the start in the house, I was just like, no, I do not like this. I'm not comfortable with this. Yes. And it just, yeah. <laughs> Speaking for myself, as as we've been talking, it's it's come up that it could be. On my part, something to do with a bit of timing. It, I almost feel guilty for watching this where there's, you know, there's people running around shooting everybody. And at the same time, there's a war going on in Eastern Europe where this kind of stuff, and it just feels not even, I don't know, it, it, there's something, I'm not going to say distasteful about it because that wasn't the intent, but it, it just kind of, rubs me a little the wrong way it's just I, would say, I, would, I would say distasteful personally i i like i said i just didn't it was it for me it was crass and i didn't like it. but that's just me and then we've lost every american viewer now and people are like all right move <laughs> on we're getting political and it doesn't matter and it's not fucking woke story boys <laughs> talk speaking of the guns though <laughs> one thing um that they were that was important for them to do and i appreciated was the bullet count um, whenever they were shooting or whenever, you know, Keanu was using a, a gun, he ran out of bullets appropriately. He had to reload. Uh, he ran out of things to reload. He had to appropriate someone else's weapon. I appreciated that. And, and maybe that's part of a problem too, but that they did try to lend some realism to it. Uh, I, when Adrian Padalecki was fighting for her life in that hotel room and the way she was, you know, using the wall to, as leverage and, using her weight as leverage. I just appreciated that in the stunts. I like I liked mm. that aspect. I do like the little touches like that realism. Like at one point he picks up a rifle, he plugs a cartridge in and then checks to see if it's not jammed because that rifle is has a is known for jamming on its first I, I like that kind of thing. I like those little touches. I don't know the first thing enough about, so I wouldn't have noticed or cared. I, see, I, just, I wouldn't have known that, but I. But it's when I do behind the scenes stuff, I just just read so much stuff. Yes, yeah. nothing. And against that's how I learned about it. 
But no, for me, I wouldn't have noticed that, the, you know, he's but because it's so stupidly unrealistic anyway. And that's another thing that bugged me was just kind of like, he's he's one person that can take out. And I know that's the kind of whole point, but I'm like, come on, you're taking out hundreds and thousands of people and not one of them, not one gets a lucky shot and kills you. It's just stupid at a certain point, you know? Well, they <laughs> might have had he not been wearing the Kevlar. That doesn't protect your head. <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. Well, head's, head's hard to hit. It's tiny and moving around a lot. Get <laughs> a reef. You have a when, tiny head. It's hard when you've got like an automatic <laughs> weapon that will just mow the shit out of people, you know? Just one straight <laughs> Getting back to the writing, there's, there's two okay. things that got to me with, with this. Uh, one of them you might be able to clear up, which is once Marcus is killed at this house, mm-hmm. I don't know if I missed it, but how did John know which house to go to to find Marcus? Did Tarasov tell him where to go? Because, you know, he's just taken into this house as Marcus is walking down a street. Yeah, that was a little weird. I remember that. I remember that sticking out to me too. There's probably a cut scene or something. That's that strikes me as the kind of thing where there was a scene that they deleted for timing to keep the pace moving because they were like, well, nobody will care <laughs> if you know what I mean. Yeah. And and the only other thing is, as I said, I just we we I mean, me and Mike's been talking about it a lot because we've been looking at the the Bond movies for an upcoming thing, and I just and I hate the 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 villain monologue, just capturing him, torturing him, just so they can gloat. You know, if if. They'd have just gone over to Wick when he wasn't conscious, put a bullet in his head. Tarasov would still be there. His son would still be there. There'd be none of the problems, but they just thought, no, well, it's, it'll be fine. He's, he's only killed about 300 people. We'll just take him in and, and tie him to a chair while I explain everything. That's kind of what I was alluding to earlier. There doesn't seem to be any internal logic to the writing. Like, I get that you know people could appreciate the choreography and stuff, but writing-wise, like, like I said, the whole point of... Although you've been charitable and said like, oh, he's he stopped and stared at Alfie Allen because like he wants to know who's coming for him, but I'm just like, it feels like he stopped there because the script told him to, and it's the same at the end. It feels like they have to capture Wick instead of just capping him and killing him because the script said it, and there's no other logical reason. And you're just like, people aren't act- like nobody's got a character anyway, and then people are acting so unlike an, a regular person would that you're just like. I don't know. I'm I'm can't invest because nobody here seems to be doing anything that makes sense. <laughs> I get it. Yeah, towards the end I get it cuz in the beginning I think Vigo was like he knew he got his son had got him into a hopeless situation. Like even when he says put him in the red circle and you know he's sending his guys out and he's sitting in front of his fire fireplace drinking his drink. I didn't see that as like a victory drink. I saw that as no. a, this is my last moment of peace because we've really effed up here. Um, and, and then I think maybe he thought he had the upper hand. And so, yeah, he was gloating a little bit there. Maybe there was some trepidation with taking out John Wick because he was kind of like this fantastical Baba Yaga just a, a mythical, myth, nearly mythical uh, figure to him. But I mean, that, that could just be me really reading between the lines there, but I can, I can reconcile it in my head. I think you either buy into that whole mythic, he's just amazing thing or you don't. And I just, I, I couldn't, unfortunately. Um, yeah, I don't know. I wanted to, but, and I've, st- I've done it in other things, other films and TV shows and stuff. I'm able to just, 
you know, uh, suspend disbelief a lot easier. But anyway. Um, I'll, I, will, I will say one thing I did love, and I'm not sure if Mike's probably going to disagree with me on this. I did love the whole Hotel Continental thing. Mm-hmm. I really oh, like the concept. It, it just, I mean, it, it's the side of things, in, you know, even in these films that you don't see very often. I love the whole setup, the bar, the doctor. That I, I just, I just love the concept. It's, it. Don't give me any spoilers, but it's, it's definitely something that I would like to see. Dude, they're making a TV show called The Continental. It's clearly yeah, (laughs) Yeah. and it does no spoilers, but it does um, factor a lot into the second and third. The whole the Continental and the whole just underground. The fact that they all know each other, even globally, not just. Uh, I mean, that's basically what the next few movies are. You just move globally instead of just being there. Um, And there's different factions you start to become aware of. So that definitely does become more of a focus of the next couple of movies. And and like you mentioned, the show coming out, which I'm super excited about. To to, to your point, DK, um, no, that was the kind of thing I enjoyed. There were parts of the writing and stuff that I did appreciate, like even as I, I alluded to earlier. Uh, the idea that when he killed the people in the house and then he called up and was like, I'd like to make a dinner reservation for 12. It took me my, you know, slow brain a little while to to gather what was, because I took that literally. And then when it, you know, the guys turned up and actually started getting rid of the bodies, I was like, oh, 12 people. I get it. Clever. I appreciate that. <laughs> and then when they kind of fed that into the whole idea of the hotel, like, oh, would you you need a dinner reservation? <laughs> you know, people. And I, uh, yeah, I was I was there for the law, partly because Lance Reddick's cool. And I just, I really liked that idea, um, as I think Sandra was saying, of like, even in this world, this is sacred ground. And there's a place that you just don't do it in. Um, and that's why I was, I was thrilled when Palicki bit it at the end, because I was like, this is destroys this entire world if she gets away with this. Yeah. So when she didn't, and Ian McShane was just like, "No, by your own hand, revoked, bang, dead." I was like, "Yes, good," because at least now there's some kind of internal logic to stuff. You know, I would have liked to have seen a couple more faces in the bar that John connected with, in the you know, in the same kind of way that he connected with Perkins that wouldn't show up later to be a thorn in his side. I mean, I thought it would have been a nice touch. I wasn't expecting Pelecki to, you know, to be a, an antagonist later on. I thought it would have just been nice if he'd have just seen a fellow assassin, said hello, nodded, that kind of thing, and moved on. And you went, oh, that's cool. I wonder what her I story think, is. Or I wonder I what his story is. I thought you did get a little bit of that because I definitely noticed a couple of times when people were like, whoa, John, you're back in the game, and, and they were just passes by. So I did. Yeah, but really he seemed to focus exclusively on Perkins, and I think he kind of telegraphed oh, more, where yeah. it was going. There and was that been... catch and release guy, Lou, I think his name was also. You just saw a minute of him. There were definitely yeah. a couple of guys that passed him that were just like, oh, John, back in this. and Because I was like, this is, again, something I appreciate because I kind of, I bought into the dark humor of that. Like, it's just like um, a dude going back to an office or whatever, and all the people that still work there are just like, oh, dude, hired back or whatever. Okay. <laughs> you know, I kind of get that. That's a wry little sarcastic humor that I can get on board with. And even like Leguizamo, when he first saw him, was just like, um, you know, he, he obviously knew the specifics and stuff, but was just like, ooh. It's gonna get you back in or whatever, but yeah, I thought, he knew I mean, from the car. He knew the moment that car showed up. Oh, yeah. He had fear of where did you get that car? <laughs> yeah, 
And again, there were some moments in that 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 really maybe I just need to watch it again because there were moments that I did really like, and I was like, yeah, I buy into the characterization of this, including uh, him like whacking Alfie Allen, probably just because I hated the dude at that point anyway. But then when um, what you say his name was again, Vigo calls up uh, like was almost character, and he's like, I hear you struck my son, and he's he's not terrified or scared of anything at all. It's like, yeah, I did. You know what he did? <laughs> and I'm just like, yeah, stand your ground, like was even though he you stole, were stole John Wick's car and killed his dog, he's like, "Oh, yeah." <laughs> I mean, yeah, the one it's... thing that I I wasn't that keen on was the final showdown between the two of them. I like the the lead up to it. I like the car chase. I thought that were well done, but I thought that final fist fight was a a bit of a letdown. I mean, even with his injuries, I feel like Wick would have just you know, just wipe the floor with him. And weirdly, I appreciated that more than all of the gun violence because that <laughs> seemed a lot more visceral and like, ooh, ouch, I can feel actual pain here from these guys. Um, like, I'd have appreciated more of that, more like having to drop the gun and go hand-to-hand combat, like you said, strangling people or having to, you know, get bloodied and beaten. Um, I do love how he uses the car to fight, though, too. Yeah. yeah. that. I did, I did appreciate that, that, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I am confused about one thing, which I'm sure you could probably answer. I could have looked it up, but I didn't care enough to. Is is Vigo actually dead? <laughs> you see, yeah. this, is he? Oh, yeah. yeah oh, Because really? that's always kind of being set up for a sequel, because, you know, yeah. okay walked away. Because next movie you get his brother, who is even, uh, he's that, oof, what's his name? I'll have to look it up, but he's even more uh, fun than Vigo. It's not that I didn't, I, I, it was more like the, in terms of direction and stuff, which again, I'm skipping ahead, but we do this anyway. Peter Stormare. Um, Peter Stormare. Oh, oh Stormare's in it, is he? he yeah, was terrible it's Vigo's brother. And, oh, okay, he's not a good actor in this one either. <laughs> but, but yeah, he's, he's great. A great um, substitute for Vigo. No, no, I, but my issue wasn't with the guy. Like I said, it was more the direction in terms of it was not made remotely explicit. Like, I don't see how he's died. He only got stabbed in the shoulder. <laughs> but then it seemed very much like when he oh, said, like, your oh, lungs goodbye. Are there. Yeah, your lungs right there beneath your shoulder. So it punctured a lung, basically. All right. It seemed way higher up than the lung, if I'm honest. And it was in the same place John Wick got stabbed and was suddenly fine because, you know, he's got plot armor. <laughs> Missed the lungs. <laughs> so, so say that. Like I got it from I got the context of like goodbye, John. But then like DK, I was just like, oh, he hasn't killed him because you know I don't know, he hasn't actively personally done anything wrong or whatever. Um, so he hasn't killed him because they're setting it up that he'll come back, you know, bloodied and cut up, but bandaged up ready to take him on in the sequel. And now I'm just like, that was his death scene. That was really flat and not clear at all. <laughs> um to, to use your video game analogy, if that was the final boss thing, then that was wick. No pun intended. So, <laughs> um, but no, I've, I've rambled enough. Sorry, I, I didn't want to just overtake everything. But do you, um, That's okay. So we, and three years between that ending and where it picks up in John Wick 2. So, yeah. And I don't even know if they had planned on a John Wick 2 when they started John Wick. So, yeah, I guess that does that ending does kind of fizzle a little bit. Other than it satisfies, right? He got everybody he wanted to get. Please don't tell me the next one starts with the new dog getting killed. Oh, 
No, uh, because there is a website that exists, Does the Dog Die? I will tell you no more dogs die for the rest of the... That's true. Well, we don't know what happens in John Wick 4 because he just gives that dog in the trailer such a look of like, I hate dogs (laughs) now because I get connected and people kill you. (laughs) But anyway. um, No, so yeah, uh, the the next section that I had, even though, like I said, we've dotted about was writing and plot. uh, But I don't want to just blur through my uh, notes and everything first because I've, I've talked enough so first of all do you two have any sort of notes on the writing and the plot that you wanted to start us off talking about I've I've pretty much gone through all my notes already man oh, okay. fair enough all right and I think so. yeah just me and, and talking about it too it just um a lot of times I can judge a film by what it intends or sets out to do. And and I, I didn't know that, but what DK had said in the beginning that, you know, his inspiration came from movies like Taken and Man on Fire. Um, and in that sense, and considering again, this is a stunt man's film, um, I think it it did what it set out to do, what what it promised. That's fair enough. Uh, well, maybe you can bounce off a few of my notes then, not, not wanting to keep us here for too long, but I just have a few things uh, on the writing that I was noting as as we kind of went along as I was watching. Uh, so first of all, the idea that the, the pre-credit scene, as it were, is non-linear was something I appreciated because, it, in, as you said, it's quite a slow burn for those first 16 minutes anyway. So diving in, the very first thing you see being him like crashing the car, you know, completely effed up, blood pouring from his abdomen, and you even get the exposition because he then starts watching the video of his wife on the phone. And I was like, okay, this is, it gets you interested. You're straight in with, you know, what's happened here. And you get, you know, handy exposition without having to be cheesy about it or have a flashback or a dream sequence or whatever. So I kind of appreciated the pre-credit scene. at least. I do like the fact that, you know, when it came out and you'd have seen that, you wouldn't have necessarily known that he was going to make it until the end of the no. movie. And I don't know if this is a plus or a minus, but I did just spend the entire time thinking, well, when's he going to get messed up that badly? Because we know it's coming. It's going to happen. And I said he was so invincible throughout. I was like, what's going to come that will eventually mess him up so bad that we already saw at the, at the start of the movie? Um, what was what was brought up to me today is the the, the thing at the end where he, where he, is that just a, a, a vet's? Yeah, vet that he goes to, isn't it? I mean, you know, so surely that way, yeah. in, in, isn't there some kid somewhere going, who's stolen my dog? I think <laughs> I think it was probably one of those places they take the dog. All right. Is it going to be like a John Wick sequel somewhere down the line where this is really pissed off 12-year-old starts <laughs> gunning for John Wick? <laughs> Do you know what? Given all of the many ideas they've apparently got, maybe when we get to Chapter 7, that will be what's <laughs> You took my dog, Wick. My yeah. mom died and she left me a note saying that even though she couldn't raise me, I'd always have the dog to love and join with me. I'm going to fuck shit. you up. <laughs> you You'll know, after the, <laughs> after the red circle scene, he's walking into the hotel. And uh, again, you can tell it's just that sheer will that has him on his feet, the way he's ambling in, like it's taking every ounce of his being to walk across that lobby on his mm. own two feet and get back up. I mean, he looks pretty hurt in that, in that moment. Yeah. And of course I like uh, Lance Reddick's line when he says, you know, and how's your laundry? He's like, I'm, I'm sorry to say nobody's that, that good. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, that's it. Yeah. Nobody's, I'm afraid nobody's that good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Um, yeah. That's cool. 
I, this is a, a sort of general writing plot note, and it's it's very obvious, but I do like the, the way that they link the dog to his dead wife, even though I, I just kind of made the joke about it just two seconds ago. Um, you know, because at least that, that gives you that good motivation. Uh, I appreciated it, and I was like, okay, now I get, like, you, you don't necessarily need it, because any, you know, empathetic person would be like, oh, they killed his dog, but the fact that it then links to his dead wife and stuff, I'm like, ooh, now you've done really messed up, Alfie. <laughs> yeah. So I think you're appreciative. I thought it was quite clever. And his um, car. I mean, and his car. That mm, too. Well, did, did he really care about the car? <laughs> I mean, he never seemed so. to cover. <laughs> it was a trifecta. It was a trifecta. <laughs> uh, it was it was more about the dog for me because that's even what he says in the scene at the end where he's just like I had a wife and I loved her so much and I left everything for her and I've got nothing left and then all of a sudden she gives me this dog and it's something else I can love and then your son took it away and now I've got nothing and I was like oh, shit I, I get you <laughs> um, I like how he had his assassin's tools hidden away like he thought he might need them someday but but they were en closeted enough that you know it was clear he severed ties with that community. That I didn't love that because that was that was another sort of situation where I'm just like, nah, this is far too easy access to like deadly weapons, and partly just because I couldn't watch it without thinking of he may as well have walked up to Lawrence Fishburne and went, I need guns, lots of guns. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost the same scene except without Fishburne there. <laughs> but yeah. Um, there is a scene at the start which maybe somebody can explain this to me. I was so confused by because it it's after all this has happened, uh, and he's he, you know he's been given the dog and everything else, and then he just takes the car and just randomly drives around doing donuts in this like car park full of diggers and stuff, shouting and screaming. And that's just it. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't go anywhere. I'm like, that so was cool action and everything. What was that? <laughs> for me, I think it was just his. Um... Ad part adrenaline junkie probably like the reason he got into the life in the first place before he met his wife and then that scene towards the end it's almost like he contemplates for a moment just ending it all um you know crashing into those tractors but instead you know chooses revenge yeah um and then yeah. his his you know his adrenaline's pumping and and all of that um that's what I think that scene was for. But then also it 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 slowly built up to this this fact that there was this kind of underground guild that they mm. all belong to because how he just drives up and nods at the guy and and you could tell, you know, this probably happens often. This may be how he gets his adrenaline junkie out of his system as he's walked away from the life that he comes here often and and does donuts mm. and gets it out of his system. That's what I, I get that. That makes sense. That's okay. Cool. Cool. Um, yeah. As I'm looking through my notes on the uh, the writing, that literally is we have already discussed everything else. You'll all be glad to hear. Um, so the next thing to touch <laughs> on would be the the directing. Um, so do either of you have any thoughts on that? Then uh, that you can that we haven't talked about. No, I think we've pretty much well I've, everything that I wanted oh, yeah. to talk about. I've talked about with regards to that too. And, and yeah, the, you can tell that again, it's a stuntman's film. The best directed parts are those fight scenes, are the uh, weapons scenes, um, seeing him break into his cache, seeing Willem Dafoe's very cool hidden cache under the stairway. Um, so he obviously paid more attention to those scenes, but um camera angle wise the cinematography i actually thought was 
stellar. You know, when he's walking into the lobby and um, like I said, he's using every ounce of his will to cross that lobby and the camera angle is from beneath, um, you know, his head as he's walking. Um, the funeral scene where it's the, it, they, they actually refer to it as NYC Noir, where, you know, you have the gravestones, tall, thin gravestones against a backdrop of skyscrapers, the blue tint, um, the overhead scene of the grave where the umbrellas are jumbled together. There's flowers and the coffin. I just thought there were so many beautifully shot scenes in this movie. I, I really think that next to the fight choreography, stands out there's really beautifully shot scenes and she seems like that in set in new york with rain and umbrellas just always remind me of a spider-man film not batman no <laughs> it's spider-man every single time huh i got a batman vibe from it even though it's not gotham city but you know <laughs> i i was waiting for evanescence to play in jennifer garner to open <laughs> <laughs> oh god <laughs> <laughs> and, and my question, what did you think about what they did with the subtitles? I thought that was really neat way to keep you in the action. It's distracting at first, but then it just kind of blends in, in my opinion. I did actually like what that. I did not like that little touch. <laughs> Sorry. You'll be shocked to hear. Right? <laughs> <laughs> First of all, the main thing, let me say, in, in the direction, I absolutely hate when films do this and put this weird filter over everything so everything looks washed out and blue it's it's not cool or stylish it just looks crap for me it makes the film look ugly and it hurt scenes that would have looked better um so i didn't appreciate that yeah uh, every other scene was either a fast series of like flashbacks that were bizarrely edited in or how many scenes of people prepping <laughs> just, oh, if I have to watch one more gearing up montage in this freaking oh, movie, I'm I love see. that scene. <laughs> Which oh, one? Man. There's like six of them. The red circle, the red circle oh, one yeah. with that, with the music in the background. That do, 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 do. I don't know. I just, I love that scene for whatever reason. I, I didn't like the music either for that. <laughs> for that <laughs> Yeah, there are some great scenes. I love the way, like I said, some of the direction I liked, like the zoom in on Winston when it emphasizes like the seriousness that he's going back or um, the shot from behind the bouncer where he just literally comes out of the shadows with the gun to his head. I was like, oh, that's a really well-directed, that's a cool way to do that. I like that. Um, so yeah, that, so you see, I'm not just crapping on. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, great shots. Whenever they show cars, I was really pushing it as well because I like a lot of car. Like, I love Baby Driver, for example, so I love car action and stuff. And it always seemed like they'd shot that quite well. Um, I didn't appreciate the very on-the-nose video game comparison in the game you mentioned that the dude was playing. Yeah. Uh, I like that. Yeah, that's e even to the point of, like, slowing down, like, yeah, kill shot, like, in a video game when he kills him. I was like, ugh, this is no. Yeah, that's what, <laughs> but that, I mean, that's what games do anyway these days yeah yeah i wasn't a fan and i say i thought killing of alfie allen was a bit anticlimactic and not satisfying uh and then didn't even couldn't even tell that he killed Rico. um but i did appreciate this the killing of marcus scene because again it made me actually feel something for a second which was nice um, yeah i liked the effect of the sort of lightning during the final chase i thought that was a cool stylistic touch and was curious if that was like i, I get the sense it was probably cgi'd in because you're not going to time your filming that perfectly, right? Um, but it still seemed good. 
Uh, One yeah, trope I, I appreciate was, um, I, I do like this sometimes in movies have executed well where the beginning of the film is the end of the film. And, and you know, you just see like what got him to this point where he's crawling in the parking lot um, looks like he's living his last minutes of his life and he pulls out a video of his wife so you know he can be with her in his last minutes of life um, I, always, mm. I always find stuff like that handy when you're in a cinema because you know when to start putting your coat on <laughs> <laughs> not necessarily not nowadays you'd be surprised the number of times because there's times when i was like oh we're gonna catch up to that scene and there'll be a bit more afterwards because you know often it does um, but no, I didn't. I, I just found it laughable that he picked another dog. I was like, really? Is this what we're doing here? All right. So I'll do you again. Just dead. <laughs> uh, but yeah, um, that, I've already said I appreciate some of the acting in the face-offs between Vigo and, and John. And as a very quick VFX note, since that's a section I look at, the only thing I've, I've really got is what I mentioned. I liked the kind of lightning strikes they must have presumably CGI'd in. And now that I know about it, I don't like that they wasted money on a CGI doctor. So... <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Any notes on uh, any special effects that you guys said? Uh, apart from, obviously, we've talked about, um, if you want to class that, like choreography, fight choreography and stunts and things. Uh, any visual effects stand out? Uh, nothing, nothing really for me. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, the film looked good. What I will say is with regards to, uh, I did enjoy it and find it enough as a, enough of an experience that when the credits rolled, I, I did think, what? That's it? Right. It, it never dragged. I mean, there was the occasional lull, but it never dragged for me. I was I was the, having a very different experience, as you know, because I was checking the runtime constantly, and I literally did message you at one point and was just like, "Would it be bad if I just stopped watching forty five minutes in because I don't care what happens with the rest <laughs> of the movie?" Uh, then I was like, "No, that's not that's not fair. That's I can't you know claim to be a, <laughs> a skilled reviewer of any kind if I'm not going to watch the whole thing." And it's, What's it's interesting, a... I, I didn't see the first movie until the second movie came out. Um, so I watched the first two back to back. And so I wonder, you know, I never felt that because I never experienced that ending. Really, the, the three movies fit together like one long movie. And so when I watched the first two together, yeah, I got a different ending. So that's interesting to hear that from you guys. Didn't think about that. Mm. That, that kind of does lead me to a question that I was going to ask you, which was just, if I don't like the first John Wick movie, is there anything like any point in watching the next two or three? Is there anything I that's think like so? Oh, because different. the one aspect you did like was, or was that DK that said it? But I thought the one aspect you did like was the whole, uh, more of the hotel workings and the workings mm -hmm. of this guild. Um, and there's just a lot more of that going on. I mean, I really it really just feels like John Wick one just really feels like an intro to the rest. Like I said, I've never experienced it all by itself. Yeah. Um, do you guys have any notes on the music and sound? Cause I was trying to make notes and I was just like, yeah, it's intense. Then it's just way too much. And then it was just on the nose. We've got guns, pop song, and then just a bunch of dance and techno music. And then, Finally, I think I just gave up and was like, yeah, I'm just too old. I, I no, the, like the only thing that really stood out to me was, oh, God, not more Marilyn Manson. And that was pretty much it. <laughs> of course, yeah. <laughs> I thought it fit the scene, though, and, and how they had the We Got Guns was right when Willem Dafoe opened up his. 
his gun cabinet. I know I thought if I'm in my car, I'm typically not listening to this type of music. I'm more into, you know, like Foo Fighters and stuff like that. But for the movie and for the action, I just really appreciate it to the point that I did actually because I wanted to experience, I, I loved the movie so much that I even wanted to experience it when I wasn't watching it. So I was listening to the soundtrack in my in my car at work. And and again, this isn't my typical genre. Uh, so I don't know. I wonder if I could even point out. I, I just think uh, just just the the everything of it all was what I liked. I'm much more into sci-fi and fantasy than I yeah. am these types. And even when we we're talking about Avatar, I didn't appreciate the gunship scene, the fight scene. I mentioned I even got up and did something else, but it's just the whole thing together. Keanu is a big part of it. Just love him as a person. Yeah. So that's a big part of, I think, why I, I liked it so much. But I just thought everything fit together so well. And, and it just made me love it. Just just like scenes, like I talked about in the Batman, the, the chase scene with the penguin. I could watch that over and over again. And there's about, you know, five different scenes in this movie that I could just watch over and over and over again. Because I just love how it fits together. Well, do you guys have any last notes before we jump into a favorite character moment and line then? Okay, um, I I do apologize if I'm sounding overly negative for every, anybody feels like I'm. I I I don't want to come off like I'm shitting on anything people enjoy. So if that has been the case, I apologize. Uh, but we'll yeah, I'll talk about it in the conclusion anyway. Um, but anyway, who was your favorite character in the movie? Uh, we always start with our guests, so Sandra will ask you. Obviously, um, John Wick was my favorite with Lance Reddick as as a second. Awesome. Fair enough. Makes sense. Title character. Uh, DK, who was your favorite character in the movie? Well, I mean, there's not a lot to choose from, so it's it's kind of got to be John, really. Uh, although I'll second Sandy and say that uh, Charon as a cl very close second because Lance Reddick is just cool as fuck. <laughs> That's fair enough. See, not to again sound just like, you know, shitting on everything, but I just don't think John Mc had a character, so I couldn't really pick him. <laughs> he was literally, you know, human gun. So my favourite character in the movie was uh, Aurelio, the John Mc was armor character, because I liked his kind of loyalty to John Wick and his sort of seeming sense of morality in the code, uh, which is the kind of thing I appreciated going on with the hotel and stuff as well. So that was why I picked him. Uh, so who? what was your favourite moment uh, in the movie, Sandra? Mine is the the whole red circle fight. I I love the 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 music as we enter the club as he's getting ready. The music uh, down in the spa area. It's this part club, part wellness spa that we have here. Um, but I loved from beginning to end that whole scene. I know it's kind of an extended thing, but just from the moment he's getting ready until. Um, Alfie Allen pops out of the club in his towel. I uh, just like everything in between, but especially the fight right around the pool. Um, that was a very interesting setup in there so that, you know, they're fighting on the stairs, they're shooting through glass, things that they're hiding behind for cover. Um, and then the music, the slowed down music with the woman singing that's going on down there. I liked, I liked all of that. Okay, cool. Um, that's nice. I like, I like to hear a bit of passion. <laughs> <But something laughs> um, DK, what about you? What was your favorite moment in the movie? 
Uh, I did like the bathhouse scene, uh, and uh, well, not the bathhouse scene as such, but the bath <laughs> <coughs> let's let's not go there. And uh, the nightclub uh, scene, but I think it's the scene set within the Continental. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. So you will <laughs> like you will <laughs> like the the succeeding movies then. Yeah. If it's more of that, then yeah. But my favorite moments uh, then are the, the kind of two linked ones. I liked the stuff with. Um, Miss Perkins escaping from her babysitter that, that John kind of, mm-hmm. you know, bought with the coin. Uh, and then particularly, as I've already mentioned, her actually facing a comeuppance at the end. Um, you know, because I, I liked that. Not that I enjoy seeing women get killed, obviously, but I just liked that, like, they, they were strict about that code and like, no, this is a safe haven and you broke the rules, so you pay. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> fair enough. So uh, we're here then now. So what would you say is your favorite line of the movie, Sandra? My favorite line is delivered by Vigo uh, when he's talking about uh, John Wick and he says, you know, he's a man of, of focus, commitment, uh, sheer will. Um, it's delivered again and better by his brother in the second film, but that's just kind of encapsulates the whole movie, the character, how it's just, uh, he, you know, his focus um, you know, he's determined to get his revenge and and not until everybody in his path has been, you know, wiped off the face of the earth will he be done. And it's almost like it's not even um, a series of decisions he's making throughout the film. He's made one decision. This is what he's going to do. And he's not going to be finished until it's complete. Awesome. Awesome. Fair enough. Uh, DK, you know the drill. What was your favorite line in the movie? It's not so much a line. It's uh, uh, just a small exchange. It's when the cop turns up and he says, you were uh, working again? And he says, no, I'm just signing some stuff out. He says, oh, well, leave you to it then. Yeah. Night, Jimmy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <Yeah>. Cool. <laughs> Yeah, my favourite line, again, cliche, very obvious, but I liked, and I've already touched on it. People keep asking if I'm back, and I haven't really had an answer. But now, yeah, I'm thinking I'm back. So you can either hand over your son, or you can die screaming alongside him. <laughs> because, come on, that's just cool. <laughs> just- I know she didn't say, or oh, you can die ambiguously in the rain with a knife in shoulder. <laughs> right, well, before we get to our conclusions, then, uh, we tend to jump uh, just to the audience response to see what other people thought about the movie. Um, so I do have them here. I have saved them. Um, yeah, so we'll jump into that. Uh, the first uh, audience response that I have is from, uh, from our Discord server, actually. Um, and it is Adrienne, who we obviously have had on the podcast a lot. And Yay! Um, she just says, after lengthy contemplation, here is my input. Number one, Keanu Reeves is hot. Okay. Uh, number two, don't piss off a retired assassin. <laughs> Remember these lines. Good night, John. Good night, Jimmy. We've basically already <laughs> talked about that. Um, uh, yeah, I think... Number three, she talked about the new... sound design. Yeah. Yeah. She said, number three, black is the new black. Number four, you're going to need more stuntmen, bullets, and bourbon. Number five, correction, don't piss off an American assassin who speaks perfect Russian. Uh, number six, actual movie notes, incredible sound, music, and editing. Uh, and then just number seven, she was looking forward to hearing our opinions, which I'm guessing she probably doesn't like. No. <laughs> she's, just, she's now launched her phone out of the window. 
I noticed some things that she, when she mentioned sound design and um, I had not really noticed that in my first zillion watches. So I tried to pay attention there in the beginning and there were some delicate sounds, you know, in the beginning, like when he, she, he lays down uh, the bracelet, the Daisy bracelet on his um, side table. I just noticed some very delicate sounds and I just wondered how they picked those sounds up or when the dogs um, uh, eating his brand cereal uh, that first morning and his collar, the Daisy um, on his collar hits the bowl and clinks on the bowl. I, I'm just so curious how mm. they pick up those delicate sounds and not all other background sounds because there must have been at least a dozen people in there moving around, right? So that sound mm. design was that was interesting to me. But then I got into the movie and totally forgot to listen for it. Um, some more feedback then. We have Toby on our Discord, um, who also agrees that, yes, Keanu Reeves is hot. I, I'm not into beards, but he is still hot. This is Toby talking. Sorry, I'm calling you out, Toby, for your first trapping over Keanu. Uh, and then says, inside and outside beauty, we love to see it. <laughs> so, <yes>. True. <laughs> um, uh, the next uh, feedback I have is the only one that I received from our Mastodon page. Uh, guys, if you are following us on social media, we are going to need you to keep <laughs> try interacting more. I don't know if people just haven't seen these movies or if it's because we're off of you know Twitter and stuff now, but I'm not getting a lot of interaction. So please yeah. do, otherwise we're going to have to stop doing this. And it's kind of it's always nice to get other people's opinions. So and I don't like having to peruse Letterboxd because you know there's better ways to get people's just, opinions. He already feels like a, a stalker, so you know, let's not let's yeah. not subject him to that anymore exactly but no this is the one feedback we had uh, which is from ozzy at mastodon.world uh, who says i absolutely love john wick the action is like little else in american movies up to that point michael nyquist is the perfect villain and i love the stylized built-in subtitles when they speak russian the whole world of assassins they allude to is wonderfully weird and it's just so much dang fun so i think he's very on the same page as you sandra I would yeah <laughs> uh, yeah i was yeah, I'm out on an island on my own. As I said, I, I was talking to DK earlier and said, from our friend group on uh, Letterboxd, there is not a single person who gives this below three and a half stars, with most people going around four, four and a half, five type area. I, I don't say it, but again, clearly I'm the outlier. Um, but anyway, so moving on to Letterboxd, our friend Will Templar has actually seen this and reviewed it, so I'm able to give his feedback. Uh, you will have seen and heard him in a few of our other podcasts on this and our other channel. Uh, he gives the film four stars and says, a weird one to watch on Christmas Day with the fam, I know. Have a good one, guys. <laughs> all right. Um, also from Letterboxd, which is what they will all be from now on, John C. says, the setup was too basic for my liking, but the action that followed was fun enough. Ian McShane for the win, and he gives the film three and a half stars. Uh, Lord Lee Kicker also gives three and a half stars and says, classic John Wick, not much else to say. It's got the best story of all the Wicks and was just so easy to sit and enjoy. Uh, Rats and King gives it four and a half stars and says it's a great action movie with a minimal amount of story and a shitload of badass action scenes. Also, there are absolutely no shaky cam action scenes during the movie, which is mm. great to finally see again in a modern action movie. Uh, I guess in the end, it's like Taken and Road to Perdition had a child and named it John Wick. <laughs> <laughs> that brings us around then to the to our conclusions and scores. Uh, and then we'll give the final uh, podcast score, which we kind of get by making out an average if you're new to the podcast. And again, we always go to our guest first. Excuse me. So, Sandra, do you have a conclusion and a score out of five stars for John Wick, the first one? I've mentioned it before, but for me, 
John Wick set out to do what it meant to do. It actually wasn't until I found out that he did a lot of the stunts himself and how much work he put into it that I got interested in it, uh, decided to watch it and just loved it just for, for all of the action, everything all together. For me, the film only, um, because I like subsequent films better, I give it four out of five stars. Okay, four out of five uh, for Sandra. So, uh, DK, um, your conclusion and your score out of five stars, please. Yeah, uh, I went in not really expecting to like this. I've seen and read so much hyperbole over the years from so many different sources that I went in expecting something phenomenal while simultaneously dreading the inevitable letdown. Uh, I was not disappointed, so I was happy to say. For a genre as well-trodden as this, it was nice to come away from this experience, not utterly bored to tears. The script feels a little fresher than some of the other movies of his type. Action set pieces, while not overly original, are done well. Supporting cast is really good in the limited screen time, and Keanu once again proves to be, well, Keanu. It's, uh, it's not perfect. There's the occasional lull, and some of the scripting is groan-inducing. Obviously, you need to uh, suspend disbelief while watching, as it's something straight out of a comic book. And as I've said before, there was a point about halfway through where I felt guilty for enjoying it, such as the current state of the world. But once that switch was flicked off, I found it reasonably enough fun. Uh, in fact, I can't believe it took me this long to get around to seeing it. I will be watching the sequels, even Ruby Rose, you know, <laughs> included, because, uh, damn it, people, you were right. It's not a bad movie. And I've... Uh, Giving it three and a half out of five. Okay, fair enough. Um, yeah, well, as right. you know, I, I, like DK, will tend to give a couple of paragraphs just of conclusion before giving my actual score. Um, so, again, apologies for you having to sit through it. But this, is, this was just what I came up <laughs> with. Um, it was, I, I really don't enjoy shitting on things that people like. I know there are those who love this, and I know how protective I feel over stuff that I love. But I have to be honest. So if that's you, then maybe just skip ahead a couple of minutes. Um, I didn't enjoy this. I wanted to, and given its reputation, I expected to. But the body count and sheer disposability of people makes me really uncomfortable. There's barely a plot. And though the lore it hints at with the Continental and such is mildly interesting, it just felt like watching somebody else play a video game and about as exciting. Charmless, soulless, vacuous. I wanted to find things that I liked for my friend Sandra and the other fans, and it was really tough. The performances were mostly good, I guess. There were some nice directing touches, although I hated the vast majority of the direction as well. Obviously, the action works for some people really well, and although it didn't move or impress me, I guess I can appreciate the skill and artistry involved if you're into that. Look, not every film is going to be for everyone, and this was just not for me. I really can't quite see how it took off the way it did, and it kind of represents the worst of Hollywood excess and brainless flash with no substance for me. If you like it, then power to you. I'd be open to hearing why, as I've shown. You know, I've listened to everyone's thoughts and opinions on it, but I have to give my rating personally, uh, and so I went with one star out of five for me. <laughs> so um, uh, I will... Sort those up and divide by three to give us our overall score for the podcast. And that gives us a final score for John Wick of 2.83 stars out of five. So even with my very outlier score, we're over mid 
middle halfway. So yeah, not <laughs> terrible, I guess. So um, yeah, so apologies to everybody that likes this film. I promise I'm not only <laughs> this negative. Um, I, I will be checking in with Sandra that we are still friends. <laughs> we are. I appreciate you. <sighs> <laughs> Thank God, because I was like, oh, DK, she's never going to speak to me. <laughs> I am I am a bit protective of it, but but no, I can appreciate what you didn't care for about it and, and how that may have infected, affected your ability to enjoy the other things about it. I can appreciate that. Um, yeah. Having said that, though, I do hope you will give the second one um, at least think about giving that a try mm. and, and seeing how you like it. I probably will because, you know, if, if nothing else, I was foolish enough to, before having seen the movie, bought a Blu-ray set of one and two. So I oh, have yeah. it here. I may as well. <laughs> so, yeah, fingers crossed I prefer that one. You know, without the pressure of viewing it and stuff, maybe I'll, you know, it'll come to me differently. And as I said, I'm not, I'm not totally averse to watching the first one again with fresher eyes at a different time and seeing if there is more to like. Like I said, I just had to be very honest. And hopefully people can at least understand my issues with the film. I don't think anything was unreasonable, perhaps. But um, hey, it's different People like different things. You've got to be honest yeah. in your reviews, otherwise there's no point. Exactly. True. Yeah, this is this is the point, isn't it? So, yeah. And at least it just, you know, if, if nothing else, the annoying people that will go, well, I'm not listening to his podcast. He just loves everything can now find something that I didn't enjoy. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, all that remains then is to wrap things up and say thank you so much to Sandy for joining us, especially for putting up with me, <laughs> kind of crapping on the movie. It's, it's always a pleasure to be joined by you, and we always get such good insights, and you always know what you're talking about with film and uh, just various things, and Star Trek, as it turns out, on our Discord, <laughs> which was a surprise for us. But, uh, yeah, awesome. So uh, you will be coming back on, and if we invite you again, even if I'm here. <laughs> oh, yeah, I can't wait. In fact, y'all should invite me more often. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I, we, we are going to try. <laughs> I'll say that much. So, yeah. Awesome. Especially, I especially uh, look forward to one that we all do love. That's going to be extra fun and exciting. But I do appreciate these yeah. talks. I just love that you're willing to talk about it with me. Yeah, for sure, definitely. Yeah, I'm not. Uh, I'm not averse to watching anything, really. Uh, did you have um, anywhere where people can find you that you wanted to to try and plug, Sandra? For social medias or the like? No, I'm kind of like in the continental, kind of underground. <laughs> you won't. You won't really find me anywhere. <laughs> awesome. People have to find a coin when I get into it. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, that's fair enough. Uh, as I say, you can always follow us at all of the links that are in our. Uh, descriptions of the videos we have link trees and we're on everywhere but twitter basically we're on facebook mastodon instagram and i think dk still has a semi-active uh, space here i'm on tiktok although i'm never on it <laughs> i never do it but i'm there uh yeah and uh so that's where you can find me and the podcasts dk do you have anywhere else that you that i've forgotten <laughs> no no that's you've pretty much mentioned it while sandra's inside the continental i'm just slumped in a doorway outside with a bottle in my hand <laughs> <laughs> you're just bleeding onto the sidewalk watching yeah. videos of your wife <laughs> awesome awesome I, i'm the dog they're just waiting for somebody to... <laughs> and people will probably want to do to me what alfie allen did to the dog <laughs> Never mind. like i said we're fine we watch game of thrones he got his comeuppance for that as well so, <laughs> uh yeah so that's great hopefully you've enjoyed listening to this even if you agree or disagree at least we had a wide range of opinions which is always good do tune in again in two weeks time as i said we are 
uh, doing a fortnightly series this time for our third series, just because we've had some issues pop up and some people that were going to help out haven't been able to join us, which is still very in the air at the moment, and we hope will be resolved soon, satisfactorily. Uh, so fingers crossed, and shout out to that person. Uh, but yeah, so join us in a couple of weeks where we will be reviewing the film that we've touched on earlier, Prometheus. Uh, and again, if you think we had a wide range of opinions this week, you're probably going to be in for the same next week, <laughs> though not necessarily from the same people. So that could be interesting. Uh, yeah, and stay tuned for after that, we are going into, uh, I believe it's our top 10 Bond movies, is it, uh, after that? So yeah, and as I said, keep an eye on our sister podcast, here on Miss Star Trek, because very soon we are going to be doing a top 10 over there, which I will be announcing imminently, but we're looking forward to that as well. So... Uh, again, thanks, Sandra, for joining us. Thank you, DK, for being uh, there and having my back at all times like John Wick's mate, Willem Dafoe. And uh, we'll see you again. In the meantime, remember, in the epic words of Arnie, we'll be back. I'll be back. <laughs>